Welcome to the Addiction in Emergency Medicine and Acute Care podcast. Why does this topic matter? One person in the United States dies from a drug overdose every six minutes. We as healthcare providers must do better to treat addiction, prevent overdoses, and improve the lives of our patients and their families. This podcast is designed to provide you with simple and evidence-based information on substance use disorders that you can use to take better care of your patients on your next shift. Greetings and salutations. Dr. Casey Grover here for another episode of Addiction in Emergency Medicine and Acute Care. I have to apologize if you hear purring in the background. My cat insisted she sit on my lap while I recorded this episode. One brief follow-up to episode 13 on alcoholic ketoacidosis before we start this episode. Less than a week after I published episode 13 on alcoholic ketoacidosis, I had a patient with alcoholic ketoacidosis that I took care of in my emergency department, and I was extremely pleased that I was up to date on how to best care for her after going through and publishing episode 13 on alcoholic ketoacidosis. And she was actually admitted for a supervised medical detoxification from alcohol. And I rounded on her with the chemical dependency service two days after I admitted her, and she looked like a new person. There was no withdrawal. She had a clear mind, and she was actually discharged to follow up with one of our local residential drug and alcohol treatment programs. I was very grateful to be able to participate in her care and help her get better. Now, on to today's episode. Today, we're going to be talking about cannabis dispensaries. Most specifically, who works there? What do they tell people about cannabis? And how good is the information that they give out? So when your patient asks you about the information they got on cannabis from a dispensary, you'll be able to talk to them about the quality of the source of that information. And as always, I sound like a broken record, we'll be keeping this podcast evidence-based, so we'll be going through two papers for this episode. The first is entitled, Training and Practices of Cannabis Dispensary Staff, in the journal Cannabis and Cannabinoid Research from 2016. The first author is Nancy Haug, and the second article is from JAMA Network Open in 2021, entitled Analysis of State Cannabis Laws and Dispensary Staff Recommendations to Adults Purchasing Medical Cannabis. And the lead author is Jessica Merlin. Let's jump into the first article, which is the older article to get us started. The Haug article begins with the politics around cannabis. Each state has created its own legislation around cannabis. In some states, cannabis is available for recreational and medical use. In others, it's available only for medical use, and in the rest, it remains an illegal substance. For the medical use of cannabis, it turns out that there is little or no training required for the physicians providing recommendations for cannabis use to patients, authorizing medical use of cannabis, or those dispensing cannabis to patients. And, if you didn't know, a person who works at a cannabis dispensary providing patients with information about cannabis and selling people cannabis is called a bud tender. Now, what did the authors do in this first study? They surveyed 55 self-identified cannabis dispensary staff members. They were from multiple states, cities of multiple sizes, 
and dispensaries that provided both medical and recreational cannabis. The survey was done online and was designed to evaluate the training, knowledge, attitudes, and practices of dispensary staff. So here's the first interesting question from the study. Who works at a cannabis dispensary? Here's the demographic information about the respondents. The mean age was 32. The respondents were 86% white and 9% Latinx. Respondents were 67% heterosexual, 22% bisexual, 7% homosexual, and 4% asexual. 55% of respondents were female. 60% had a college degree or higher, and 84% were full-time at the cannabis dispensary. The next question was on what training was involved with working at a cannabis dispensary. 55% of respondents reported that they received training to work at their position. And of this 55% that got training, here's the breakdown on what type of training it was. 35% customer service, 26% business, 20% medical, 20% other, and 13% scientific. And the other training was a certification to be a bud tender or courses on cannabis, but it's not clear what those courses contained. And 63% of respondents reported that they regularly counseled patients on cannabis as a part of their job working at a dispensary. The survey continued looking at which patients chose to come to the dispensary. Dispensaries reported servicing as many as 15 to 5,000 patients per week, and actually 69% of people who went to dispensaries were regular patrons. In looking at what conditions the patients chose to go to the dispensary for, there's actually a fantastic chart in the paper that delineates what conditions made people seek cannabis for treatment. Here are some highlights. 93% had chronic pain, 80% had insomnia, 80% had anxiety, 75% had PTSD, 70% had cancer, 65% had depression. And that's actually very interesting given that we know from episode 3 on cannabis withdrawal that cannabis dependence and withdrawal will worsen or cause insomnia, anxiety, and depression. Some other interesting reasons that people went to a dispensary included neuropathy, glaucoma, Alzheimer's, HIV, addiction, ALS, nightmares, and hepatitis C. Not sure what the interest is with hepatitis C, but it's on the list. Now, moving on, what did dispensary staff recommend to patients? 94% of the staff that responded to the survey reported that they provide advice, guidance, and general counsel to patients on cannabis. 88% made recommendations on particular strains. 88% made recommendation on administration methods like edibles versus smoking. 80% made recommendations on potential cannabis side effects. And 74% made recommendations on cannabis for specific symptoms or conditions. Now, a question that comes up in my mind is what influenced staff to make a particular recommendation? And the survey addresses this as well. 89% of respondents reported that the particular condition or ailment influenced their recommendation. 
83% reported that the experience of other patients influenced their recommendations. 71% reported that their own experience with cannabis influenced their recommendations. 68% reported that scientific articles influenced their recommendations about cannabis. 52% reported that other staff recommendations about cannabis influenced their recommendations. 48% reported that information from websites influenced their recommendations, and 21% reported that what needed to be sold influenced their recommendations to clients about cannabis. The study actually goes on to look in detail as to which strains and which cannabinoid concentrations were recommended for which conditions. It's pretty lengthy, so I'll actually leave it up to you to take a look if you're interested. Now, let's take a minute and digest this information. This is some pretty interesting stuff. We have people working at cannabis dispensaries, some without any training, making recommendations to clients on what cannabis treats and which types of cannabis to use. And while it seems like there is at least some general effort in the industry to be scientific or evidence-based, some dispensaries are recommending the strains that they need to sell for inventory reasons to people seeking cannabis for either medical or recreational purposes. Back to the article. We're going to move on to the discussion section. The authors drive home a few key points. First, only 20% of cannabis dispensary staff got any medical or scientific training about cannabis. Second, recommendations to patients on what type of cannabis a patient could benefit from vary from worker to worker based on a number of sources and influences. Third, the authors dig deeper into what recommendations dispensary workers made for each condition, which we actually glossed over. But the summary is that dispensary staff recommendations on strain of cannabis and cannabinoid concentrations often were not consistent with the existing empirical medical literature. To quote the authors, quote, based on the above literature, it appears that a meaningful number of dispensary staff are providing recommendations for cannabinoids that have either not been shown to be effective for a given condition or could actually worsen a patient's condition, end quote. And fourth, cannabis dispensary staff are the most likely people to provide advice on cannabis to people. Evidence-based training for staff on cannabis is needed and should be mandated for those working in the dispensary industry. So that finishes up the first study. My brief take-home here is that if your patient goes to a cannabis dispensary, she or he might get good advice about how cannabis could be helpful, but they also could get bad advice too. And this brings us to the second article, which, as a reminder, is from JAMA Network Open in 2021, entitled Analysis of State Cannabis Laws and Dispensary Staff Recommendations to Adults Purchasing Medical Cannabis. The authors put their study in context by making a few points in the introduction. First, the authors note that most patients who use cannabis for medical purposes report receiving specific advice about cannabis formulations and use patterns directly from dispensaries rather than from clinicians. And this makes sense. Most physicians do not get any specific training about cannabis products, particularly all the nuances of strains and THC content. And this brings us to the second point that the authors make in the introduction, 
which is that there is a void in clinicians being able to counsel patients about cannabis. And this presents an interesting situation for patients to get trusted information about the medical use of cannabis, as the authors note that there has not yet been a lot of research on the practices of frontline dispensary staff. The authors make one last point about cannabis in their introduction that is worth noting. Each state in which cannabis is legal for use has different laws. As such, each state that has legalized medical cannabis use has different rules on testing, product labeling, dosing limits, dosing guidelines, and the types of products that can be dispensed. The degree to which regulations for cannabis are more like prescription drugs or over-the-counter drugs has been termed medicalization. So, the authors decide that they wanted to dig deeper into the practices of frontline dispensary staff. So what did they do in this study? The researchers developed a survey to be administered to cannabis dispensary staff. And in a slight difference from the first study, they were only looking at dispensing cannabis for medical reasons rather than for recreational use. Very interestingly, the researchers actually had trouble getting people to complete the surveys as dispensary managers felt the need to keep proprietary information about their dispensaries and were also worried that staff might be recruited to a new dispensary. I know I wasn't expecting that to be an issue in this study. The researchers also looked at the medicalization of cannabis in each state and created a state cannabis medicalization score based on seven domains. Patient-clinician relationship, manufacturing and testing, product labeling, types of products, supply and dose limit, prescription drug monitoring program, and dispensing practices. And the authors actually hypothesized that dispensary staff from states with a higher state cannabis medicalization score would talk with customers more about risks and use more traditional sources of information, such as input from clinicians, as compared to those in states with a lower score. So, how did this survey go? The authors ultimately received 391 responses that met their criteria from 308 dispensaries. Who were the respondents? And you have to remember here, these are dispensaries for the medical use of cannabis only. So this will be different from the first paper that we reviewed, which was medical and recreational use of cannabis. So in this second study, 40% were bud tenders, 32% were dispensary managers, 13% were pharmacists, and 5% were healthcare practitioners, such as doctors, nurse practitioners, and physician assistants. Interestingly, Approximately two-thirds of the respondents had a medical cannabis card themselves. Approximately two-thirds of the respondents reported using cannabis multiple times per week up to daily. Approximately one-half of the respondents reported using cannabis for both medical and recreational purposes. And 78% of respondents agreed or strongly agreed that their personal cannabis use helped them advise customers. Now, what factors were involved with the recommendations that these dispensary staff made to customers. 74% reported that they made recommendations based on the customer's condition. 70% reported that they made recommendations based on experiences of other customers. 
67% reported that they made recommendations based on the customer's previous experience with cannabis. 66% reported they made recommendations based on customer preference. 63% reported that they made recommendations based on their own personal experience with cannabis. 61% reported that they made recommendations based on employer training. 56% reported that they made recommendations based on recommendations from other staff at the dispensary. And 50% reported that they made recommendations based on product availability in the dispensary. Now, how did state cannabis medicalization scores affect recommendations about cannabis? A higher state medicalization score was associated with the use of employer training on cannabis and clinician input in recommendations about cannabis. A lower state medicalization score was associated with recommendations based on the product appearance, the staff member's personal experience with cannabis, or what needed to be sold to move inventory. Now, what did dispensary staff do in terms of speaking to customers about risks? Respondents reported that they always spoke to patients about risks with the following frequency. And basically what that means is that when the questionnaire said, how often do you speak to patients about risks? The answer was always. So for adverse effects, which they didn't clarify which specific effects, respondents reported that they spoke to patients about the risk of adverse effects 38% of the time. In regards to safe storage, they only counseled patients 42% of the time. For the risk of developing cannabis use disorder, they only counseled patients 5% of the time. In terms of the risk of developing cannabis withdrawal, they only counseled patients 5% of the time. And in terms of developing a psychotic reaction from cannabis, they counseled patients 12% of the time. So basically, dispensary staff is counseling people about some of the known side effects or hazards of cannabis less than 50% of the time, and sometimes even as low as only one in 20 patients being given advice on cannabis in the dispensary. Interestingly, the state medicalization score did not correlate with the rate of counseling about cannabis risks. That, again, to me, is some pretty interesting data. So for patients who seek cannabis for medical reasons at a dispensary, recommendations from dispensary staff are based on a variety of different things, including the staff member's experience with cannabis and what inventory needs to be sold. And patients are only warned about cannabis use disorder and withdrawal in 5% of transactions with clients at the cannabis dispensary. If you go back and listen to episode three on cannabis withdrawal syndrome, you can hear how common and unpleasant cannabis withdrawal is. And so this seems to be a huge disservice to patients to inform them about these risks so infrequently. Moving on to the discussion. The authors highlight a few take-home points in their discussion. First, the lack of counseling about the potential harms of cannabis may actually be on par with some other industries, including healthcare. Liquor store clerks, outside of the stickers with government warnings that excessive consumption is hazardous to your health, are not required to counsel you about the risks of alcoholic gastritis or withdrawal when you buy beer, wine, or liquor. And as medical providers, we don't go through all of the potential side effects of penicillin when we write a prescription for it. And we, as medical providers, certainly did a catastrophically horrible job counseling patients about the risks of prescription opiates in the 1990s and 2000s. And this is where we as healthcare providers can help our patients who use cannabis. If someone is using cannabis, 
we as healthcare providers have the opportunity to educate them on the risks of using cannabis and offering treatment for dependence or withdrawal if needed. And second, dispensary staff often incorporate personal experience with cannabis into their counseling of patients seeking cannabis as a medical treatment. This is very different than how we as clinicians provide medical advice. We think of therapeutics through a transitional pharmacotherapeutic lens, thinking about dosing and indications and side effects and interactions and pharmacokinetics. And it's important for us as clinicians to know and to be able to speak about with our patients that cannabis dispensary staff often use personal experience to provide counsel, which is different than how patients might be used to receiving information from a doctor or healthcare provider. So that concludes the second article. And there's one last point that I personally want to make on this topic. The cannabis industry is exploding with new products, strains, and ways to use cannabis. I can understand why patients go to a dispensary to get information about cannabis since most medical providers will not be able to speak intelligently about the nuances of THC and CBD ratios or whether the indica strain or the sativa strain will be more likely to help their condition. And part of it is that the scientific literature on cannabis is still in its infancy. As cannabis was illegal throughout the United States for decades, it was not often studied. So I think my role as a healthcare provider may be more to counsel patients about the quality of the information that they are getting at a dispensary. As in telling patients, you may have just heard the personal preference of a cannabis enthusiast rather than scientific information and also to counsel patients about the risk of cannabis use disorder, cannabis withdrawal, and the other serious issues around cannabis that will not likely be discussed at a dispensary such as safe storage at home. Now, that was lots of material. Let's break this down into some take-home points. Number one, cannabis is regulated on a state level in the United States, so each state is going to do things differently. This means that how cannabis is sold and labeled is going to vary state to state. Number two, people working at a cannabis dispensary counseling patients about cannabis may have had little to no formal training on cannabis. Number three, people working at a cannabis dispensary frequently use cannabis both medically and recreationally and may make recommendations to clients based on their personal experience with cannabis. Number four, the potential harms of cannabis are infrequently discussed with clients at cannabis dispensaries. Number five, we as healthcare providers can help our patients make informed decisions about cannabis by helping them understand that the quality of counsel given to them at a dispensary will vary significantly between dispensaries as there is no standard as to what information is given to clients about cannabis at cannabis dispensaries. And number six, we as healthcare providers can also help our patients using cannabis by discussing the potential harms in cannabis and offering treatment when we identify cannabis use disorder and cannabis withdrawal syndrome in our patients. That's a wrap for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. And don't forget, treating substance use disorders saves lives.